This is the Red Cliff Marketing Show. Get ready to boost your marketing skills, get more customers, and take your business to the next level. Check out the latest on the blog at redcliffmarketinglabs.com.au or subscribe on iTunes. Now, here's your host, Mick Cullen. G'day, folks. Welcome back to the Red Cliff Marketing Show. I'm your host, Mick Cullen. And I'm with uh, Brett Chamberlain today. We're going to talk about a whole heap of different business topics, but mainly try and focus in on, on pricing. So, Brett, thanks very much for being able to have the, the time today to, to chat to us. It's a pleasure, Mick. Good to see you again. And Brett, just as a, a bit of an intro, if I might just talk about how I first you know, heard you speak and um, some of the content you came up with, right. and then if we go back and look at uh, you know, a bit of your business background, how you got into things and what you picked up along the way, and then we'll get into talking about some pricing. So sure. I think it was about 2010 out of Caboolture, um, the council, correct me if wrong, I think the council had to engage you to talk to a, a business group. There would have been about 200 people there. Yeah, I think and it was a state government. Queen it was a state, state government. government. Yeah, I think you're doing a bit of a, a road show That's around. Right. And yeah, it was a fair crowd. So it was about 200 people um, and presumably <clears> 200 business owners from the Caboolture uh, sort of region there. That'd be right. Yeah. And uh, at that stage, I'd kind of, you know, just... I don't know, I'm not sure if I actually started a business yet or I was kind of thinking about it. And have, coming from the Defence Force, um, you know, I, I knew a bit about the, the social media and the websites and, and the technical stuff I was doing, but I didn't know the, you know, much of the business of doing business. I guess you, you, know, you learn this sort of stuff as you go along. So a lot of the stuff you spoke about was the, the first time I'd heard any of that sort of gear. <laughs> and again, you were sort of rolling it off and I was busy, you know, you know scrabbling down notes and <laughs> still got pages at home probably from it. But it, it kind of opened my eyes that, in business, there's really two parts. You've got the thing you do, and then you've got the, the business that you're running. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I took a lot away from that and some of the stuff I might chat about today as well. Sure. But how'd you... Let's, let's reverse backwards. So, uh, you obviously... State government thought you knew your stuff and were sending you around to, to talk to different people. Yeah. How'd you get in that position? Uh, well, I, I, as you know, we used to be an army officer, and uh, after I left the army, fiddled around with some different little projects for a while, but... Uh, ultimately got headhunted by a consulting firm and learnt the ropes there um, and enjoyed the experience and then went out and set up my own shop, my own firm and we spoke, we specialised, we focused on turnarounds, on working with businesses that are on you know, very shaky ground, looking pretty tight, they can't pay the bills, everyone's hammering at the doors and so forth and in some cases they were businesses that were already in the hands of administrators. So they were very close to being packed up and shut down and our job was to put them back on their feet if we possibly could. And we developed a good reputation for doing that by applying the principles that I talked about in that seminar that you saw, yep. um, which I think are pretty near to universal principles, but they're not universally applied for some reason. A lot of businesses just don't understand or know about these things. So, yeah, nowadays... Uh, and that that event with um, the Queensland Government or for the Queensland Government is what I do. I, I talk to audiences all around Australia and a few overseas about um, about those principles, about the fundamentals of business success and how to quickly improve the success and profitability of an organisation. Okay, and how'd you go? Like, so obviously you had uh, sort of operations roles and management roles in, in defence. Yes, but it's still quite like you know some of the underlying stuff stays the same, but it's still quite different in the business world. So, had you done business before defence, or as you were going through defence, you had um, business experience there, or that was kind of like on the job, was, uh, <laughs> learning as you went uh, in, in those early roles. Definitely on the job. Yeah, I, I, I think that the military background gives us a bit of a head start in terms of 
helping us to think rationally through problems and that's a large part of the job is to be able to look at data and and we used to have a saying you know look at the numbers with cold eyes as in not be passionate about it just be completely dispassionate and evaluate the facts and uh, and that's something as soldiers as officers we were taught to do as you'd recognize and that i think is a large part of my success as a consultant was being able to disconnect from you know all of the clutter and fluff and just look at the really significant core issues and come up with appropriate next steps whatever they might be besides the, like the content <coughs> of what you're actually helping them through did you find that detachment the fact that uh, you know whether it's you know through the training you, you, know, you have a detached manner or the fact that you're a third, third party consultant sort of coming in externally do you find that a problem that business owners are just can't see what's going on because they're too close to it? Uh, absolutely. That, that's often the biggest part of their problem is that they are too close to it and they're too invested in it. They're too passionate. It's their thing. You know, it is an embodiment of themselves in some ways. And it's very hard, you know, for me as much as for them um, to self-reflect, to see ourselves accurately. And so having that fresh set of eyes come in and dispassionately check things and go over the numbers and ask the hard questions is a valuable thing that I still take advantage of as much as you know the clients that I work with. I know because one of the past ones I was interviewing it was um, Brad uh, Flynn, he's a, a local action coach and yep. he said you know, a big part was just the accountability, the fact that you have to turn up to that coach wherever that person is, the yep. consultant, and lay open the books each week or however long it is, yep. that kind of holds you to actually getting some of those things done. Indeed. Okay, so let's move into talking about pricing and, and things we can do or look at our business and where we can pull it apart and put it back together again so it might work uh, better. So talk about the, the four P's. So can you just quickly take us through the four P's of, of marketing? Sure. So the, the four P's of marketing are product, price, promotion and place. The product is obviously the thing we sell, but marketers also talk about the three P's of product being people, packaging and processes. And what that's designed to do is remind us that the product is not just the thing that sits on the shelf, it's the entire experience of buying it, it's the way it looks on the shelf, it's how easy it is to dispose of the package after you finish with it, etc, etc. So there's a lot of issues to consider when we're talking about the product part of the four P's. Um, product price is the one that we're going to focus on today, we'll come back to that. Promotion is obviously the advertising and promotional activities that we do and the, the things that you do with your social media and website development and so forth. And the place is all about how we place the product into the hands of the customer or where we place our business in relation to the customer. So it's, it's distribution and logistics, it's how do we make it as user-friendly and attractive as possible to get the message to or the product to the uh, to the end user. That kind of, uh, if I you know get this right, that can actually have a big impact on the price because where you put that object, whether it's a bottle of water at the, in the desert versus the bottle of water you know next to the, <laughs> next to the, the river type thing, uh, right. that's a, a big impact on, on the pricing as well. Absolutely. When you walk into a a brand new business, and I guess you're trying to pull out information. In, sorry, when I say brand new business, <coughs> new for, for you to walk into a, into a business, yep. and are trying to pull that information together. Yes, um, is pricing one of the first levers you might adjust, or, or what would be one of the first things you'd? On a pretty, might, I feel like open question. Yeah, look, it's a good question. It's one that I'll certainly look at early on. If we have the room to move the price, then it will be moved very, very quickly. Um, the way we determine that pretty much is 
to look in the most general and rawest of terms, we look at the conversion rate. So if a business is seeing 10 potential customers in a day, just to make the math really easy for us, and only one of them is converting to a customer, that suggests that there is, well, clearly the flip side is that nine people decided not to become a customer, so they're not happy with something about what we're doing. And that might be the price, it might be the packaging, it might be the promotions, it could be any part of the marketing mix, any part of what we do and how we do things. So we would look at the conversion rate and see if there's an indication that the market is prepared to pay a higher price. If the conversion rate is high, um, then that's a good sign. And we so it's certainly supply and demand almost in that aspect? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a, a good indicator of how enthusiastically the market is embracing your product. Yep. Um, high conversion rate is always a, you know, a good indicator that they're probably happy with what you're doing or they have no other cho- choices, which is the other possibility, obviously. Um, but in either case, that high conversion rate suggests that the price can be tickled, can be moved up. But the, the converse is not always true, though, is it? Like a low conversion rate doesn't always mean that it's a pricing problem. No, no not absolutely. Um, the low conversion rate doesn't mean that it's necessarily a, a pricing problem. The low conversion rate might not be a bad thing in itself. You know, it, it's a matter of, of the best possible conversion rate for the business. It might be that a 10% conversion rate is phenomenal in one organisation and a 99% conversion rate would be 1% short in another business, you know, where people go specifically to purchase things. So it varies from industry to industry and market to market. Um, but, yeah, it's a rough indicator for us to start looking at whether we can play with the price or not because it's the fastest way, as you'd know, to improve the profitability of an organisation. If you add a cent to the price that scent flies straight to the bottom line. There's no extra overhead, there's no extra personnel, there's no extra costs associated, you're not buying extra stock, it's pure fatty, creamy profit. And one cent doesn't sound like a lot, but it doesn't sound like a lot, but you know, when you're talking one cent a hundred times a day for one product and there's a hundred products in the range, those yeah. one cents can add up to a really useful sum. And I mean, again, one cent <laughs> is really just going to be here for a, uh, an example because you're always going to be you know, a high percentage in that for, for an increase. Um, okay, so let's talk about pricing uh, strategies or methods or how do people come up with, like maybe not the, the best ways, but what are the different ways people arrive at a price in their business? Okay, there's a few different ways. I mean, the technical ways that you get out of the textbooks will typically be competitive parity where they say what are others in this field charging, let's match that price. I think that's a bit of a dud model, but it's a very common one. Another one is uh, price penetration, where prices will be dropped uh, intentionally and steeply in the short term as a way of entering the market, and then the prices will lift again to probably back to competitive parity or hopefully something better if they can achieve that. The most powerful strategy of all, though, the most powerful principle for pricing, as far as I'm concerned, is that it has to be based on the simple concept of what will the market bear. It shouldn't have anything to do with technical models like cost plus X percent and we need to have this sort of gross profit margin to meet industry benchmarks and so forth. They're purely guidelines. Really, the math is all about what is the customer prepared to pay? We can't overcharge a customer. 
if you think about it, because they won't pay more than they're prepared to pay. What we as business people and as marketers need to do is be testing the price barriers, testing the price limits on a regular and consistent basis and do what we call used to call thermaling, um, which would mean that if there was you know 20 products in the range, you'd take two or three and put the price up by a penny or a percent and see what difference that made to the demand. And if the demand dropped away very quickly, you'd say, clearly, we've just crossed the price threshold, the market's not happy with that higher price, and you'd put it back down again straight away and run a promo to win those lost customers back. But more often than not, if, if you're selling, say, a $10 product and you put the price up to $10.20, you know, people wouldn't even notice the difference. And the amazing thing is that that tiny 20 cents is another 2% on the bottom line of the profitability of the organisation. So if you, if you had a business that had a net profit of 10%, you've just improved it to a 12% net yeah. profit by that 20 cent improvement. Yeah, you just break it down and it's hard when you're just talking verbally and no pictures and you can't draw things yeah. up. People will be listening and thinking, oh, hang on, $10, I added 20 cents. Right. How can it be that increase in, in the profit? So um, I guess can you draw just a, a quick verbal picture of, of how that works? Sure. Okay. So if, if we're talking about um, taking the product from a retail price of $10 that we sell that at normally and we increase the price to $10.20, that $0.20 cents represents a 2% increase on the $10. But because it's a price increase, as I said before, it goes straight to the bottom line. There's no extra cost associated with that price increase, and so it's all new, pure profit. So we've taken that tiny little incremental change of $0.20, cents and it now appears on the bottom line as many times as we make sales, and that's where that extra 2% profit comes from. So if we're, say, buying for, you know, talking about $10 product, so if we're buying for $5 wholesale, we've got a $4 cost of stocking it or staff or things like that, so we're actually only getting a dollar profit per yeah. item sold. Yes. Now we add an ounce $0.20 of pure profit on top. Beautifully um, expressed. Yeah, yeah. Good on you, Mick. <laughs> so I think that's all right. I'm just trying to think of how it was all drawn up. So, because right, yeah. again, that's a, well, it, is fun, it is hard to, to sort of work out sometimes. Like you think, okay, we're going to you know, put our dollars up by $10. <laughs> Well, you know, for, for $100 to $110. Yeah. Um, but, the, yeah, as you said, it's by the time you, you cut that up into what the different components, yeah. Um, yeah. it does go through. The thing about price thermaling is that, and then encourage people, actively encourage people to do this, is put those first two or three products up by that tiny amount, that penny or a percent, and see if anyone notices. Most will not. And, uh, you know, we're all proof of that ourselves. You know, if we have a preferred supplier that we deal with regular, we stopped looking at the prices a long time ago. We just go there because they're our supplier. Um, So minor, minor changes are almost invisible. But once you've identified that the market is comfortable with that new higher price, they're still satisfied that they're getting appropriate value from the, the, uh, the transaction, then you move on to another two or three products in your range and you tickle them up by a penny or a percent. And then you watch the demand. And if it remains constant, then you move on to the next few products and you repeat the process until you get back to the first few products. Okay, so you're circling back around internally rather than pushing uh, across the board prices up. Absolutely. Yep, yep. Just very small groupings of products at different stages to minimise the visibility of the change. I mean, it depends on the time frame that we've got to work with. 
but we try and build it into the business over a period of time. And that's where the Thermaling concept comes from. You'd be aware of Thermaling as an old chopper pilot, so... Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and you know, airflow and things like that. And, and I think it's, it's, again, back here, you know, this is really reaching back here, but you talk about the you know, ABCD customers. This is where the Thermaling comes into it as well. As you, as you raise a price... You quite often get rid of the, the customers that are hard to work with. That's a great point. And you, you're kind of left with the you know, your A and B customers. Yeah, it's um, a great. So point. can you talk around that point a little bit? Thank you for reminding me of it. Um, if you look at the typical businesses customer database, it would be um, triangular in shape. To imagine. Imagine it as triangular in shape. At the top end of that triangle is the A-class customers, the, the, the relatively small number of really good clients that pay good fees and don't argue and are a pleasure to deal with. Then there's the B-class customers, and then there's the C-class customers, and then there's the triple Z-class customers. <laughs> you know, they've got the bad breath and everything to go with it, and, and yep. they're just a, a difficult, uh, a difficult client to deal with. The first person who's going to complain when you start doing your price thermaling is the Z-class customers. So unless you're getting distinct, direct feedback from the marketplace that your prices are too high, then that is pretty much proof positive that even the Z-class customers think you're not charging enough because they're still buying from you. Yeah, sure. You know, as soon as you get that price up to the point where you start to get people wincing a little bit, then you know that, well, that's a Z class that's wincing. I haven't yet got into my good class, my good grades of clients, so I can perhaps push a little bit further depending on what my productivity's like and so forth. And using <coughs> those bottom clients as a bit of a canary then of, of when you may be pushing the price too hard. That's a great analogy, yeah, the old coal mine canary, yeah. They, they are our first sign of whether we're getting close to the point where the market will walk. If I could just add this too, it's sometimes helpful to recognise that, um, you know, price, as I've said, is the thing that will make the quickest improvement to the bottom line profitability of a business. And so it's one that we always try to achieve. Any business obviously would try to achieve as quickly as possible, but most business people have a distinct hang-up about their prices. They're convinced that they're charging as much as they dare. Um, the reality is otherwise, and, and the price thermaling that we've been talking about will prove that. And, and any business person who's listening can test this in, in their own environment and see for themselves that uh, it will barely warrant a mention or a note. People will continue to buy in the same volume, so they need to carefully monitor that to make sure that's the case. But ultimately, pricing is only one part of whether a person buys from us. We've talked about the four P's of marketing, the product, price, promotion in place, and the people packaging and processes and so forth. They're all necessary components. But when you get right down to the pricing part, it's not about the amount that we're asking the customer to pay. It's about the value inherent in the transaction. And so... I'm a firm believer that price is never the decision maker for a patient or a customer or a client or whatever the case may be. It's always the difference between the price they pay and the benefits they get. If the benefits are high and the price is low, then there's lots of value in that equation, in that transaction for them. But if the benefits are low and the price is high, then there'll be negligible or no value in the 
transaction and they probably won't proceed on that basis. So the trick is not to try and reduce prices to become more competitive, as most business people do. But to actually up the value side well, of things. Exactly, yeah. And that could be done in you know a myriad of ways. It could be done in better ha- handling of the way telephone inquiries are dealt with through to better livery for your, your you know, as in stationery and, and business cards and website and so forth for your organisation through to better quality, through to better guarantees, through to friendlier people who have better knowledge that are more in line with the nature of the target market and so on and so forth. There's a million conditions that can be changed to improve that perception of value. One I've seen, and this is a tip for people listening, if you can try and look in your business, one of hers is if, if you're a service-based business, if you can tack on a, a product, so whether you call it packaging or whether it's just as, as an add-on, a free value-add, so if you're a service-based business, if you can throw in some kind of product with your service, and if you're a product business, if you can throw in some kind of service with your product, so it could be free training if you're selling a product, uh, or if you're a service-based business, so carpet cleaning, it could be uh, you know, a free bottle of shampoo or something like that. But Great idea. If you can kind of change between those modalities yeah. and, and build in a, in a value that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if we so if we pick uh, anyone to help me out, what, what would be three really generic local business types and, and how could they, you know, improve a price or improve a value today? So if we took a, a mechanic... A, a hairdresser and a, uh, a physio. So, mm-hmm. can can you think of some? I don't know that's going to work. I'll put you on the spot. Yep. But um, <laughs> uh, like, how would in each of those businesses? How would they go about implementing some of the things uh, you you spoken about today? It, it, it depends how bold you need to be, how quickly you need to work. Um, as I say, as a consultant, we often were being called in when there was only minutes left, so to speak. And so we had to move very quickly. There wasn't the time for consultation with the market at large. We had to make tough calls and and hope that we were right. And and I'm happy to say that that was generally the case. But in a perfect world, you would sit down with a selection of clients that represent your target market, your A-class target market, not your Z-class target market. And you would talk to them about what are the things that they want to see more of and what are the things that they like about you and what are the things that they like about your competition and what do they not like about your competition and what do they not like about you. And you have a lengthy discussion with them to achieve a couple of things. Firstly, to get inside the customer's head and, again, the right sort of customer. You know, it's the old story that the the customer is not always right, contrary to popular opinion, but the right customer is so um, we've got to focus intently on what is the right profile of customer for me, then engage with them and work out what's important to them, adapt your product, price, promotion, place, people packaging, processes, everything else to fit with what the customer is asking for and they will happily adapt to a higher price because it is more in line with what they've asked for rather than the generic product that's been um, made available to them in the past. Are you kind of educating them? In that process, on the extra value they are getting? Yeah, great point. And and not only educating, that's certainly one of the benefits of sitting down with uh, customers over a coffee or a a lunch or whatever the case may be, and you can do it one-on-one or you can do it in a a small group setting. Uh, Or you can do it in survey forms. You know, there's no limit to the ways you can do it, but the important thing is it gets done. 
um, it certainly alerts them to the things that you're doing that are different and significant and better than others in the same field. But the other advantage is that it's a great rapport building exercise if you are sitting down or talking with people. It's a terrific connector between you as a business person and your A-class client or A-class prospect. They might not even be a client when you start the interview, but they could easily become one by the end of it because they've had a demonstration of how committed you are to being the best possible service provider at the best possible value. Value not being the same as price. Mm. It's, you know, could be that you're charging significantly higher than other businesses, but because of the extra benefits that you're offering, which they've given you a list of, yep. then the you can justify that higher price Yeah, and still come out as a, the best value option for them. Okay. So you got that feedback then? Yeah. Um, then I would, as soon as we've made the adjustments or made as many as we can, we'd start doing the price thermaling. And it is that old adage, a penny or a percent. You know, you're, you're literally looking for a 1% or 2% increase on a handful of products in, in your range, whatever they might be. Um, so, again, if we're talking about $10, then it becomes $10.20 because that's a 2% yep. increase, a very small increase. You might make it 3% or 4% or 5%. In a situation like yours, Mick, where I think you're grossly undercharging for the service you provide, then I'd probably make some bolder adjustments in yep. the first place. And one of the simple ways, if I may offer a little bit of advice yeah, for please you. please go for it. I'm very open to advice. Especially for service-based businesses, but it works also for merchants. Um, a, a simple way to justify higher prices and make people comfortable with them is to accompany them with a very powerful guarantee. Um, what marketers call risk reversal. Yep. Take the risk off the shoulders of the customer and put the risk on yours, and that makes it easier for the consumer to choose you over someone who is right next to you offering exactly the same thing, but they're saying you pay your money, you take your chances, where you're saying I'll stand by my product. You'll get the deal in the majority of cases, certainly from the A-class clients in any case. Okay. Um, So we're going there. So we've got the information. Oh, that's what I was going to ask. Which product do you start with? Is it the one that um, is highest in volume sales or, or is there a, a methodology for choosing which product you start raising uh, prices on? Yeah, good question. Uh, it, there is. It varies from industry to industry, strangely enough, um, depending on whether it's a manufacturing business, a service business or a, a merchandising business. Um, but generally speaking, and, then, and most businesses would fall into this category, it's on highest volume. You choose the thing that is moving fastest, that's moving most, and you add that extra 1% or 2% to it to see what demand is going, what impact it's going to make on demand. The thing is that there probably will be some small reduction in demand, but that reduction in demand might not be anywhere near as costly as the value of the increased profitability, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, so yeah, what you're getting on, on the higher profits, but then also, again, one of the points you bring out is the fact that, yeah, you might lose uh, an amount of sales, an amount of turn, like, um, I don't know if turn is the right word, but you yeah. might lose a, a small amount of sales, yeah. but the increase in profit from the ones you do sell, but then also the reduction in the delivery cost of the items you don't sell there you go. builds up in, in, that, um, in that value equation for you as a business owner. Yeah, absolutely. And you've hit on a key point there too, which is that business people often make the mistake of measuring their success by looking at their sales volume or their turnover or their income or their revenue or whatever it's called in the organisation. 
But that is not a good measure at all. That's just a measure of busyness as distinct from good business. It, sales, revenue and income, those top line figures are really talking about how much you're doing, not how much you're getting out. Sure, so it's you have the, high revenue figures without yes. having high without having a profit at all. I've seen that many, many times. Um, and it's, it's, it's more common than you'd believe um, that businesses can have you know, millions of dollars in revenue and still not be producing a profit. They could be hemorrhaging losses on a consistent basis because in many cases, the, the people who run that organisation have their eye on the wrong ball. Um, you know, they're trying to increase sales, but yep. to increase sales, they're sharpening the pencil, they're reducing their prices, they're reducing their profit margins, their cost of goods is still the same, their expenses are still the same, and so they've got extra running around to do and less reward for the effort that they've made. Okay. And that's all... Basically, I'm just going to ask you quickly about uh, discounting, and then we'll use that to close off, because that kind of almost runs into discounting as well, where you're talking about generating activity rather than, than uh, profits. Uh, and then after that, we might talk a bit about how folks can get in contact with you, Brett, and if they're after a bit more information or okay. uh, some advice. So can you just <coughs> take it, because there's a lot of like social deals, like... Um, uh, Groupon, a uh, living social that uh, local companies are sort of taking up as yep. far as a way to get you know visibility and marketing things like that. What what's the impact of discounting? Um, I guess short term on cash flow and things like that, and then longer term on your pricing. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, when you see organisations, larger organisations running big, expensive campaigns based on low prices, typically you're looking either at someone who's doing penetration pricing, so they're entering the market and they've intentionally priced themselves low to just gain market share. You know, they're trying to own as much turf as they can in the shortest possible time and then they'll expand their prices over time through thermally. Um, alternatively, the, the low price supplier is one, and this is a valid reason to run this strategy, is a business that has uh, a sustainable competitive advantage, a sustainable cost advantage rather, where they are sure that they will always be able to buy the product that they sell at a price cheaper than their competitors. If you can do that, then being the lowest price supplier in the marketplace is a viable competitive um, strategy. But if you can't do that, then trying to be the cheapest supplier in the marketplace is a death sentence near enough. Um, the solution for us, though, is because we know that people do respond to offers and, and discounts and deals and so forth, a solution that works remarkably well in many circumstances is to create what's called a deferred discount, which means that if I was going back to our, our notional $10 product, <clears throat> if I was to say to you, this pen, this pen that I've got in my hand here is worth $10, you can have it for $10 and you argued and negotiated and hassled with me and eventually I gave it to you for $9, I've just reduced my profit margin by a dollar. I've effectively taken a dollar out of my pocket and dropped it down the drain. Yep. You've walked off with the pen, so you're happy and I'm satisfied because I made the transaction, but I'm not as happy as I should be because I didn't get the full profit margin that I wanted. If I do a deferred discount, it's where I would say, okay, with this $10 pen, Mick, you also get a $1 voucher redeemable on your next purchase. And that could be a $1 voucher, or it could be an account entry on the, you know, the ledger, or it could be a certificate of some sort. It depends on the circumstance and the environment and such. But yeah, you give the customer the 
perception that they have got a dollar discount, a dollar off, you know, they've got a dollar in their hand, it's a coupon, it's a voucher that's worth a dollar, they can see that that is effectively taking that price off the pin. But in order to uh, monetize it, in order to redeem it, they have to come Do back into sale. your store, yes. which stimulates another purchase. So the deferred discount is much stronger than a simple discount because it helps to retain customers and generate increased frequency of transaction with them. Um, so loyalty car, like you see the coffee shop, that, that's something's a, a quick, easy way to implement that. that that's that's a simple, effective way of doing it. Yep, those sorts of loyalty cards, are basic, but better than nothing at all. So absolutely, if there's no simple system in place, then start there. Yeah, just you know, we won't drag us on for too much longer because people probably need to get back to whatever it is they, they're doing before they start. But uh, you mentioned that you know where they walk out with that nine dollar pin, and you as a business owner drop that that dollar in profit. Yes. Uh, back to that original idea where you said talking about increasing the price by twenty percent. Sorry, by, by twenty cents on the ten dollar product yep. was a was quite a two percent increase. Two percent increase in price, but was it two percent? Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> more, more than twenty cent uh, increase overall because we're talking about the cost involved. Now, by taking that dollar off that ten dollar product, yeah. you may now actually be halving the um, the profit or, or more Indeed. on that particular item. Exactly. Um, right. So, where you've, you've discounted by ten percent, you've actually discounted your, your profit on that item by by fifty percent. Indeed. And if we if we had a, a screen in front of us, I could show you a wonderful calculation. Well, if you draw it up, I can take a picture and I can include well, that in the uh, in the uh, show notes for this. So, um, it's, a, it's a price volume sensitivity analysis. It just shows how sensitive a business is with its margins, with its profit margins, to changes in price. And as a general rule. The, the you know the the fatter the margins then the more you'll chase volume but when the margins are skinnier then price becomes much more sensitive you'll get a, a multiple factor from in in terms of improved profitability by playing with price rather than chasing volume okay all right well heaps of things there um, hopefully it's been interesting listening to and maybe covered a couple of things you haven't thought about before but uh, Brett, if people are listening, how can they uh, get in contact with you if they've got questions or if they want to uh, get you to come and look at their business? Uh, what's your sort of contact details? Yeah, look, my, if people want to contact me directly, they're very welcome to. Um, my mobile number is 0417-001-606. I have an office number, but feel free to call me direct on my, uh, on my mobile and I'll chat to you off the record until we decide what needs to be done. Um, and if anyone's interested, then you can look me up on LinkedIn is, uh, is my profile, and that, that's a, a decent place to start if they're trying to get a sense of who I am and what I do. Yeah, and again, if you head over to redcliffemarketinglabs.com.au and, and, and do a search for, for this interview, I'll have a link there to um, Brett's LinkedIn profile. Is there a website you're running at the moment? I don't even keep a website. No, I think I've reached that happy point where the phone <laughs> rings anyway. Yeah. Right, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> All right, well, thank you very much for joining us, Brett. And, uh, and folks, please keep an ear or a, uh, an eye on your email, and um, we'll have more interviews like this one uh, coming up uh, shortly. So thanks heaps. Cheers. You've been listening to the Red Cliff Marketing Show with Mick Cullen. If you're looking for more resources, tips and tricks, and training workshops designed to boost your business marketing, then head to redcliffmarketinglabs.com.au. If you liked the show, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. Remember, action trumps everything else. Take one idea from today, implement it in your business, and let us know the results. So go on, get out there, and do some marketing.